Genesis chapter 6. I want to read to you beginning in verse 1 through verse 9. Now it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born to them that the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were beautiful and they took wives for themselves of all whom they chose. And the Lord said, my spirit shall not strive with man forever for he is indeed flesh. Yet his days shall be 120 years. There were giants on the earth in those days and also afterward when the sons of God came into the daughters of men and they bore children to them. Those were the mighty men who were of old men of renown. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every, in, that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth and he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. This is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man, perfect in his generations. Noah walked with God. Heavenly Father, there can be no greater goal for this year than for us to learn what it means to walk with you. Lord, somehow we get so confused and it gets so complex what it means to be a Christian. When the reality is, it's really very simple. We walk with you. And today, Lord, as we begin this series about walking with God, I pray, Lord, that you'll help me to be clear. We have some very difficult uh, texts to look at and to explain. And I pray, Lord, that your people will be alert, be listening carefully so that they don't get lost in the explanations. And that, Lord, we'll learn that even in an evil society, we can walk with you successfully. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Jonah is a name that's familiar to most of us, probably almost all of us. There are movies that have been made about Jonah, one in the recent years that is more laughable than it can be taken seriously. But Jonah was a literal, real character who lived. Whether you know this or not, you will now know this. Jonah is one of three men in the Bible that the Scripture says specifically that he walked with God. Now, there were other people that walked with God. Don't misunderstand. But these particular three men, of which one of them is Jonah, are especially said to have walked with God. One of the others was a man by the name of Levi. You don't learn about it until you get to the book of Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament. And there, 
Malachi is excoriating those who have turned their backs on God, and he's using Levi as a contrast. You're not walking in the ways of your forefathers. You're not walking in the ways of Levi, because Levi was a man who walked with God. If you don't know who Levi is, he was one of the 12 sons of Jacob, the man we call Israel. Uh, He was the son through whom the priestly line would come for Israel. We used to say it this way when we were studying in school many, many years ago, that every priest was a Levite, but not every Levite was a priest. But they all served about the temple, and they served in the carrying of the tabernacle, and they served in different ways around the ministry of the Lord. And then out of that group in Levi, from the man Aaron, comes the priestly line. But Levi was noted as being a man that walked with God. A second man that we know the scripture speaks about that walked with God was Enoch. He's in the chapter just prior to the chapter that I've read to you, the portion of the chapter that I've read to you. It says Enoch walked with God, and we're going to talk more about him in just a few moments, but he walked with God. But then we get to Genesis chapter 6, and we're introduced to a man that it says in verse 8, he found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And then it says about him that he was a just man, perfect in his generations, and that he walked with God. I think sometimes we have thought that Christianity is somewhere between doing good and maybe being a missionary. And somewhere between those extremes, we've decided that what it means is we are to be believers in Jesus, and that's the end of it. But the reality is that's the beginning of what God wants to do, and that is God wants us to walk with him, to walk with him every single day of our lives. In order for you to understand the significance of that statement, though, I have to go back and I have to sort of lay a groundwork for where we're going over the next few weeks and help you to see the society around which and in which Noah was living. And I want to do that by looking at it in three different segments. There's one particular segment that's rather strange when you read about it, and then there's two other segments that define for us what it was like living in the day of Noah. So I want to look at the second and third segment first, and then I want to come back and look at that first segment. So if you have your Bible, if you'll look back with me to Genesis chapter 6, and you'll notice what he says in verse 5. Then the Lord saw, please notice that God is watching, God sees, the prophet said that God's eyes cannot look on evil, but it means by that that God's eyes cannot look with favor or with approval upon evil. The reality is God is the omniscient one, and God sees everything that's going on. He saw it in Noah's day. He sees it in our day. Then the Lord saw the wickedness of man, the wickedness of man. Let your mind imagine for a moment the fullness of what he means by the wickedness of man. We could amplify on it. We can broadcast it in ways they couldn't in that day. We can stream it over the internet in ways they could not in that day. But imagine in your mind for a moment the horrible 
uh, meaning and definition of this word wickedness, the wickedness of man. It's a strong word to speak of how evil the day was in which Noah was, was living. And it says that this wickedness was great. Notice the word great. God sees the wickedness of man. It is great in the earth. Everywhere you look, it's everywhere happening. Everybody is turning away from God. Everybody has decided that they're going to deconvert. Everybody has decided they're going to walk away from God and they're going to become involved in actions that are the most ungodly of actions imaginable. But it wasn't just their actions that were evil. He goes on in verse 5 and he says that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. The intents of his heart. When I thought of that word, I couldn't help but think of Proverbs chapter 1. In Proverbs chapter 1, Solomon is speaking to his son, and he says, if somebody comes to you, one of your friends comes to you, and they say to you and entice you to go along with them to do something that is evil and to bring harm to somebody else, he says, don't consent to that. Don't agree to go with them. But in those verses, in that opening chapter of Proverbs, he's talking about the intent. The action hasn't actually happened yet, but the intent for the action is already there. There are actions on this earth during the day of Noah that are wicked and evil and ungodly and horrible. Our minds can hardly imagine the kind of evil we're talking about. But it wasn't just the actions that were evil. It was coming from the intentions of their heart. And you notice the last word of verse 5, that their, their thoughts, the intents of their, of their thoughts, their hearts, was only evil, how long? Continually. It just every day, day after day, moment after moment, life after life, action after action, intention after intention. There was evil on every hand. Everywhere you looked, there was ungodliness. And how do you think that makes the Lord feel? Not only does God see, but God feels. You notice verse 6, and the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. He looked out at what was supposed to have been this beautiful creation that he had made for Adam and Eve, but what has been corrupted now by sin repeatedly corrupted, the actions corrupted, the intentions of men's hearts, only evil continually, and corruption is everywhere. And God says, it breaks my heart. How do you think God feels when he sees the evil in our own lives or the evil in our own society? It grieves him at his heart. It is a father looking out over his children, looking out over his creation. And when he sees what has become of his children and what has become of his creation, his heart is utterly ripped out from within him. I'm sorry so that God has to act. God sees and God feels and God acts. And so he says in verse 7, So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I've created from the face of the earth. I'm going to bring my judgment against them. They're going to have to pay for the sins that they have committed. And you can imagine what the world must have been like for Noah. 
we look at our own world and we think about the things that are going on around us and you talk about amplifying those things. You talk about broadcasting. You talk about streaming those kinds of things, making those kinds of things available to younger and younger audiences so that it's the intents of the heart and the actions of the, li- of the lives that God sees and God grieves and God has to act. And God says, I'm going to destroy them. And so we begin to get a picture of what the day was like when Noah is said to have been a man that walked with God. Have you ever said that to yourself that I could never walk with God as I ought to walk in the world in which we live? But the picture doesn't get any better. If you move down to verse 11, you notice this second image of the wickedness of the world. He says, the earth also was corrupt before God. And he uses the word corrupt two more times, so a total of three times in two verses. The earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was, here it is, filled with violence. We'll come back to that. So God looked upon the earth, and indeed it was corrupt. It was corrupt for all. Circle the word all. Not just some. All flesh had corrupted their way on the earth, their actions, their intents. Uh, The evil that was going on continually coming from their lives. Everyone was involved in it. That is, except for one man by the name of Noah. Noah who found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah who was a just man and a perfect man, meaning he was blameless in his generation. A man that in the midst of all of that evil was a man who was noted on the pages of Scripture for us to be a man that walked with God. And I skipped the word violence. Verse 11, the word violence, you see it again in verse 13. It's the exact same word. And are you ready? Are are you ready to hear the word? The Hebrew word? The Hebrew word for for violence that's translated twice here as the word violence is the word Hamas. Hamas. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? It looks familiar, doesn't it? Hamas. That's what was going on in the day of Noah. That's the kind of actions and that's the kind of attitudes and that's the kind of intentions that were present all around Noah. And it had gotten so bad over a long period of time that you've narrowed it down to where you have one man and his family that are alone righteous in the day in which they lived. And yet Noah, in the midst of all of that, the Scripture says, walked with God. As we go through this short series, we're going to talk about what it means to walk with God because that involves prayer. But I want you to see that fundamentally what we're talking about here is a man that walked with God. And if you think that description, the intents of his heart, the actions, that the whole earth is corrupted, that all of mankind is involved in it, and there's Hamas, there's violence everywhere, there's a description that's given to us that I skipped over that's one of those that's long debated in in the circles of those who interpret scripture and it's found at verse uh, chapter 6 verse 2 it says the sons of god saw the daughters of men that they were beautiful 
Now, the question has always been, who are the sons of God and who are the daughters of men? So I'm going to give you three possibilities. One is the sons of God are rulers or kings, people of royalty who thought of themselves as gods. And they went out and took women to themselves so that they built these large harems and they developed these large families, lots of children that came from them that are a part of this wickedness and this evil and this violence of that day. And that certainly is one of the views that some people hold about the sons of God and the daughters of men. They're called the sons of God because they viewed themselves as being God-like themselves. The second view is the view that the sons of God are the fallen angels The most common use of the phrase sons of God in the Old Testament is in reference to the angelic beings. And that is possible, the second view is possible that there are fallen angels that either materialized or possessed the bodies of those who were living in that day. And they cohabited with the women and what was produced were these giants, these men of renown who were filled with evil and ungodliness which, by by the way, is the view that I hold. But then there's a third view, and that's called the Sethite view, that the sons of God were the descendants of Seth, the son through whom the promised Messiah would ultimately come, that intermarried with the daughters of men who were the daughters of Cain. We have a short lineage of Cain that's given to us in chapter 4, beginning in verse 17, that the sons of God, the descendants of Seth, intermarried with the daughters of men, the descendants of Cain, and the result was an evil and a wicked generation that grew up. I remind you, whether that view is the correct view or not, the Bible still tells us that we're not to be, what, unequally yoked together believer with unbeliever. And never is that more true in marriage. You never want to marry somebody who's not moving in the same direction you're going, who doesn't love God like you love God. You may be at different levels of spirituality in your walk with God, but both of you have a heart and a passion for God, and both of you know Christ as your Savior. Which of those three views is the right one or the wrong one. We could stand here and debate that for the rest of our time together. It doesn't change the fact that the product that came from these unions was something that was called giants. The Hebrew word for giants is Nephilim. That's a plural. There were multiple of them. Some of your translations will read fallen ones, and they were fallen ones, as was mankind in general, fallen ones. But these were men of some unusual height and unusual strength, think Goliath. And they roamed the earth, and they conducted themselves in a manner that only enhanced and furthered the evil that was going on in the day in which Noah lived. So that you have this description, a description where God's heart is broken and grieved and sorrowful because of the wickedness, the actions of man, and the intents of their heart, where they have corrupted the entire earth 
where they have filled it with violence everywhere and where there are these giants, whether they're giants because of the royalty to which they belong or because of the demonic because of the demonic union with women that produces this hybrid kind of a being, or whether it's the intermarry of a godly line with an ungodly line, it produces what he calls here mighty men. In verse 4, at the end of the verse, those were mighty men who were of old men of renown. Not renown in a good sense, but renown in a bad sense. They were leading in the evil. Without me being too political, leading in the way some in our own nation lead our country toward greater evil. They were leading in the evil. They were influencing others. They were filling the earth with violence. And from the intents of their heart to the actions of their lives, God saw it and God felt sorrow over it. And God was moved to action because of it. But it wasn't always that way. Do you realize that there was a time when it wasn't this way? If you look back in the chapter 5 of, of the book of Genesis, you will notice that you're given the lineage of a man named Seth. It starts with Adam. It moves through Seth and then to the descendants if you count all of those names, there are 10 names that are given. That means if all the names are given to us, that is, they haven't just chosen specific names to point out in this lineage, that this is the entirety of the lineage, that you have 10 generations from Adam until you get to Noah. 10 generations from Adam until you get to Noah, understanding that they lived much longer lives at this particular point in history. And because of this flood, God says, I'm going to shorten mankind's life. It's only going to be no more than 120 years at the most. And if you watch the graph, as you go through the Old Testament, it starts out with these long lives. But after the flood, that graph begins to fall off until you come to a man by the name of Moses. And how old was Moses when Moses died? He was 120 years of age. So God shortened the length of man's life. So a generation may have been longer than a generation would be for us today. But in 10 generations, they had become this kind of a people who by the intents of their heart, the wickedness of their actions, the corruption of their lives everywhere, with this being that's walking, that's carrying himself, people who are threatening others and leading others into the evil and the ungodliness that was so prevalent. Wasn't always that way. You remember Enoch? Look back at your Bible, chapter 5, for a moment. Verse 21, it says, Enoch lived 65 years and begot Methuselah. What do you know about Methuselah? Well, several things. But one is that he's the oldest man in the Bible. He lived the longest of any person in the Bible. 969 years. Can you imagine? But it says, Enoch lived 65 years in verse 21, begot Methuselah, and after he begot Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years and had sons and daughters. I don't know what happened. 
at the birth of Methuselah. I'm not sure exactly how God got the attention of Enoch. I'm not sure how the change of heart came for Enoch. But at the, at the, at the birth of Methuselah, something changed in Enoch's life. And Enoch began to walk with God. Do you know who Enoch is? Enoch is the great-grandfather of Noah. And from Enoch comes Methuselah, and from Methuselah comes Lamech, and from Lamech comes our man Noah. Can I just stop for a moment and tell you there is something that's powerful about a family member who's walking with God and the impact of a grandfather and a great-grandfather and a father on the lives of his children and his grandchildren and his great-grandchildren. He left them a heritage. Enoch left them a heritage. At 65, with the birth of Methuselah, something changed, and he found the grace of God. And he began to walk with God. And his life was transformed. That transformed Methuselah. That transformed Lamech. That transformed Noah. It wasn't always the way it is. But by the time you get to Noah's life, all of these people, except for Methuselah, Methuselah dies in the day the flood begins. But for all of these others, they die. And as they begin to die, you find fewer and fewer of the righteous who are living until finally you come down and there's one man, one wife, and his children and their wives. The three sons and his daughters-in-law. And now on the face of the earth, in the midst of all of this wickedness, in this ungodliness, there's one man. I mean, Methuselah is too old to have much impact. He's going to die when the flood begins. There's one man in his family. You say, Pastor, can I walk with God in the midst of an evil world? Well, did did Noah walk with God in the midst of an evil world? Did Noah walk in communion with the God of heaven by grace? In the midst of some of the most horrendous circumstances with things that, if it is true, that these are fallen angels that either materialized. By the way, angels do that, you know. Hebrews chapter 13 talks about entertaining angels unaware. In the story of Lot or the story of Abraham, you see angels that materialize and they take on physical human form, or you read in Revelation chapter 9 about those that come up out of the pit when the door is open and they come up out of the pit. Have I mentioned you should buy my notes on Revelation? <laughs> they come up out of the pit. They're not human, but they come out in a physical form. These may well have been some kind of a hybrid being that has resulted from the union of these demons and these women. And they are out causing greater evil and greater violence. And it's just growing worse and worse until it comes to a man by the name of Noah. And it's him and his wife and his children and their wives. But Noah walked with God in an evil world. I want you to keep your place here in your Bible with me, if you will. And I want you to turn over for a moment to uh, the book of First uh, Timothy, Second Timothy, excuse me, Second Timothy. 
want you to listen carefully to what it has to say to us. Chapter 3, verse 1. But know this, that in the last days, what's going to come? Perilous times will come. What will characterize these perilous times? For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, 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 despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Maybe for some of us that's a greater description than the previous ones. We love pleasure more than we love God. Having a form of godliness, a form of godliness, but denying its power. He says, from such turn away. And when does he say that'll be? He says it'll be in the last days the last days that those perilous times will come. Turn back with me for a moment to Romans chapter 1. If you want to know what happens when sin begins, begins to run rampant and a society begins its downward spiral, you only have to read Romans chapter 1 to be able to discover it. Notice, if you will, chapter 1, verse 20. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. There is nobody who has excuse, because although they knew God, they did not glorify him, but were did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. And what happens? Verse 24, therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness, all kinds of evil and ungodliness is going on. But it gets worse. Verse 26, for this reason God gave them up to vile passions. Now he's talking about these moral evils. Men with men and women with women. And then you get to verse 28. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind, a mind that cannot even distinguish between what is right and what is wrong. And then it gets worse. Verse 29, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness, they are whispers backbiters, haters of God, violent, violent. To walk into a school and kill a sixth-grade child and wound three others, which is minimal compared to what many have done, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who know the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. It's not just their actions, it's the intentions. Even if they don't do it, it's in their heart for others to do it and to approve of them doing it. What are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying we live in a day not unlike the day of Noah. As a matter of fact, it is Jesus who says in Matthew 24, Luke chapter 17, 
He says that as in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the day of the coming of the Son of Man. The closer we get to the coming of Jesus, the world in which we live isn't going to get better and better. It's going to get worse and worse to my friends. And you are my friends. If you believe somehow the church is supposed to take dominion over the earth and we're supposed to improve it to such a degree that God now wants to bring his kingdom to the earth because it's gotten so much better, you just simply haven't read the Bible as literally as I read the Bible. Because when I read the Bible, I don't see things getting better and better and better. I see them as God says, like the days of Noah, a world that's filled with violence, a world that's filled with ungodliness, the actions and the intentions where there's corruption everywhere. Nobody can think clearly or understand clearly. Things that used to be common sense make no sense to them. God's given them up and given them up and given them over. And the evil begins to proliferate all around us and suddenly Christians begin to retreat and they begin to withdraw and they, they begin to hide out and before you know it, it takes over, and there's very few believers left. Deconversion, dechurching, that's what we used to call apostasy. We called it for what it was. It wasn't that they got enlightened, it's that they became apostate. And it's happening in various places of our world. Do you look at your world today and say, this is a better place today than it was 100 years ago today? You say, well, we got dishwashers and we got refrigerators and we have stoves and we have central air and central heat and we got nicer furniture. I'm not talking about those things. As in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the day of the Son of Man. What are you saying to me? I'm saying that I don't know how close the coming of Jesus is, but here's what I do know. The days in which we live aren't getting better and better and more righteous and more righteous until we're going to usher in the kingdom of God. Exactly the opposite is ha happening because what inevitably happened, it happened in the days of Noah prior to the days of Noah. There's a devolving that goes on. There's a downward spiral that keeps happening. Okay, so what? The so what is this? But Noah, amidst all of that, found grace in the eyes of the Lord. This is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man. He was a righteous man. He was perfect in his, his generations. He was blameless in his generation. And Noah walked with God. Can I just simplify your life for you. We can talk about all the disciplines of the spiritual life, all the things that we should be doing and we ought to be doing. Can I just simplify your spiritual life? Here's what everybody should be doing. We should be walking with God. Even in a day of evil like today, even in a day of evil like today. Find your place for me, with me for a moment at Micah. And I'm going to bring this to a close. Micah 
chapter 6. We all like to quote the first part of Micah. We all use it in our social justice efforts. But somehow we forget the last part of what Micah has to say. That just sort of gets dropped off as if it's really not as important as the previous things that are mentioned. But everybody that's into social justice is into what Micah chapter 6 verse 8 says. Micah 6 8, he has shown you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justly. That is, you're to act in a just fashion toward others, to love mercy, to be loving kind, to be considerate, and, and, and to walk humbly. How? With your God. We all talk about the justice and we all talk about the mercy, but we don't talk about the humble walk with God. And yet that's exactly what God has called every one of us to in an evil and wicked generation for us to humbly walk with God. You say, Pastor, what does that mean? Well, I'm going to lay that out for you in the coming messages. But I want you to see that no matter how evil the world is around you, no matter how wicked the people are at your office or your plant, or in your neighborhood, or in your school, or those that are your peers that keep putting pressure on you. Listen, I don't care how evil the world is in which we live. God calls us to one simple thing, and that is that we would walk with God. Do you think it was easy always for Noah to walk with God? Probably not, but Noah was committed that every day he was going to get up and he was going to have this relationship with God that he valued and that he, de- he developed. You understand, Christianity is not about a religion. It's about a relationship. It's about a walk with God. Every day, you get up and you walk with God. And what an incredible epitaph to have at the end of your life. Mary and I uh, periodically will go somewhere where they have a cemetery. And it's one of these older cemeteries. It's at least a century old, sometimes more than a century old. When we find one of those, we do something I know that may sound to you bizarre, but something that we enjoy doing, and that is we park our car and we get out and we walk through that cemetery. You know, one of the great things about the cemetery, none of them bother you while you're there. But we walk through the cemetery, and we're looking for the oldest headstone that's there. We see the headstones of those that are adults at all different ages. We see the headstones of those that are teenagers and college-age students. We see the headstones of those that are children. And you read their birth date, and you read their death date, and you read their name, and periodically you'll come across one that has an epitaph at the bottom or maybe at the top. Wouldn't it be great if on the epitaph of your headstone it could be written with Levi and Noah and Enoch. He walked with God. 
she walked with God. They just walked with God. Day after day, building the relationship, growing deeper in that relationship, listening to God, talking with God, just walking with God every single day so that when you get in your car, you recognize God is with you. And you get out of your car, you know God is with you. And you go into work, God is with you. God's there everywhere. God's with you all the time. And you start thinking about him. He's walking with me today. He's going with me today. My life has difficulty. He's walking through the fire with me. He's walking through the valley of the shadow of death with me. He's with me. He never leaves me. He never forsakes me. I talk to him as my friend. He talks to me through his word. And we have this fellowship and this communion with each other. In the evil day in which we live, Pastor, yeah. Turn off your television set. Put down your cell phone and your iPad. Turn off your computer. Get out your Bible. Sit in his presence. Walk with God every single day of your life.